Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to unequivocally figure out what the best movie is of any given year. This season we're digging into 1975, and this week on your very special bonus episode, we are fighting through the corporate-run dystopia of Rollerball. I'm your host of the evening, Mike Gravano, and with me, as always, are your Movie of the Year mainstays, Greg... It's Greg. What's up, everybody? I came to strap on my skates and deliver the hate. Bringing that rollerball energy and Ryan. A lot of people think that the wheels are the important part, but I think that little teeny toe break, that's what I bring to the game. And we are joined by our friend, because when I think of sports and violence and mixing the two, I think of one at Screams from Kanati, <laughs> Caitlin from the Unnatural 20s. Yes, and I, I know we have the wheels, we have the little good toe point, and I think we just need a stinky shoe, and I'm here for, to be that stinky shoe for you guys, and <laughs> I hope you're ready for this and all that I'm about to um, invade your nose and faces with. It is true that roller sports do have a very special smell, unlike Nobody any other is. sport. Like, it's the stinky shoe smell. Right? They are uh, Yeah, because you like lock the foot in the boot, and the boot doesn't breathe at all, and then you make the foot sweat, and then it's just in there funking up. <laughs> just funking it right I up. feel like we're getting the wrong sort of listenership with this one. I, <laughs> I like Yeah, you know, I'll up, take though. all listeners. Hey, guys. I mean, that, 1975 was the year of the funk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true, exactly. dude. We that's want what the they funk. meant. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about those stinky feet. And if you want to go to your pop filter, no, patreon.com slash your pop filter, the $100 a month is our stinky feet tier, where we will all send you pictures and... Stinky socks. I like Ever that. stinky, stinky feet. I know you would, you fucking freak. <laughs> I, it's so funny because it's like, I want that $100, obviously, but I'm very disturbed about even the thought of doing that. But man, the, I wish you were like that hundo. <laughs> in the deleted scenes of this movie, the one thing that the corporations didn't, like, had a conversation with Jonathan E. about was that your stinky feet uh, OnlyFans is making so much money <laughs> that you're now basically the biggest corporation on earth and we don't know what to do. And that scares us. It's so crazy. We're not digging into the movie yet. It's so crazy to name your character Jonathan E and at no point does anybody just call him Johnny. They always just call him Jonathan like he's some sort of CPA. Yeah, they Johnny hit every is single the part of, of that. Before this week... I want to talk about everybody's history and or knowledge of this movie. Caitlin, what did you know going into Rollerball? I had seen the cover like probably <laughs> at a like a store like when I was renting movies you could as say a child. Blockbuster. Yeah, That's I couldn't okay. remember the name for some reason. Oh, that's sad. I know. That's really, when they really die is when you forget them. Yeah, I was thinking of like the 5-star Golden Star. There's like a, a cheap one, cheaper one by my house and I remember always seeing this cover. But that's like literally the only exposure I've had to this movie. And did it meet up to your cover expectations? It was more, it was different than I expected. Because you hear (laughs) the name Rollerball and you think, oh, fun sports. And then you watch it and you're like, "Mm, fun sports. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Greg, pre-show, you also shared how iconic this cover was for you as a child. Yeah, like, I, it, it's not the kind of thing you realize you have seen a bunch, 
but I also went to that really old movie store from Captain Marvel <laughs> uh, called Blockbuster Video, and it would just like sort of be there, and you never considered picking it up. You never even gave it another th- uh, thought because it was from. Well, it looked old <laughs> when we were in the mid nineties, and it so. looked yeah. extreme. Like the this, it's such a spiky cover, and it's just like I don't want to deal with whatever's going on with this movie. <laughs> and I have to say that did not prepare me for what was going on in this movie at all. I was not set up for this movie by the cover. I judged it by the cover. And it turned out, in the case of movies, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, in the 90s, we were already dealing with music that was so extreme and sodas that were so extreme yeah. that we couldn't handle an extra movie that was that extreme. Some of no, our what? sodas were so caffeinated. I don't think kids understand that nowadays. Yeah. I'm mixing my jolt and my surge together yeah. trying to learn how to do a kickflip. No, I'm supposed to watch even, rollerball at the same don't time. Don't even joke about that. <laughs> Children are listening. I had a heart attack when I was seven years old, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> Ryan... Had you seen at least to the cover of this film in a blockbuster? I, oh, I had seen this cover in a blockbuster or two, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and I had... Here's what I knew about the movie. One, uh, multiple people died, or some amount of people died while making it. And really? In real life? What? In real life. Whoa. And then I went on to read that that number was zero. Um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that, that's a real... And then I had also gone on to read that everyone loves Jimmy Kahn, and I was like, uh, you know, I'm a big Godfather person, but other than that, why? And this in the movie Thief, the Michael Mann movie Thief, were the big reasons. And so I thought this would be like a really good way to like now get to understand the star power of Jimmy Kahn. Do you think they should have woken him up for the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that would have been more fair? I always assumed people only loved Jimmy Kahn because they hate of Scott, Scott Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> and in comparison, Jimmy was so much better. Watching this and watching him, it really did, in a different reality, Clark Gregg could have been an action movie hero, because they look the same. James Conn just has slightly curlier hair. So is much handsomer, is what you're saying. It's like easily- much handsomer. 10 times, maybe 100 times as handsome. Yeah. Wait, did you say Clark Gregg? Clark Gregg. Philip Coulson. I I was thinking the chubby kid from Sex Drive and The Office. Greg Clark? Clark Clark. Clark Duke. Clark Duke. Okay, I think you're thinking the chubby guy from this podcast, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you Clark look like James Con, but handsomer. How how do we? I mean, I I don't know. We're dancing around it. How's everybody feeling about this movie currently? I feel like I already know what everybody thinks, <laughs> but I'll go first. Uh, I was. This movie is very 1975, but typically when we said that throughout the season, it was complimentary. This. Uh, I thought this movie did a lot of cool stuff. Or you know what this movie is? It's a it's a season of television where you save all of your budget for the premiere and the finale and you have <laughs> nothing for the middle. And that's what this felt like because uh, when we were not on the court, we were asleep. And maybe that's why you should watch the 2002 remake starring Chris Klein. Did, I did not Slipknot. advocate that. That was Mike. <laughs> uh, that was not me. Because anytime they're not on the court, they are fucking or listening to more Slipknot. It's just all I remember from that movie in high school is so much Slipknot. I feel like they had a bunch of really interesting ideas and they were like, you know what's going to happen? We'll start making the movie and then we'll figure out what we're like, how this actually becomes a story. The best ideas will come to the surface. Right. Yeah. It said all of them sort of did. I read the short story that it's based on and the short story is very much the same thing as well. It's just like a bunch of cool ideas and then it's like, it doesn't even really attempt to be a narrative. And I think the movie caught a little bit of that. But that's typically the kind of thing that, like, let's say Kubrick would go for, is that all of these ideas are missing from the short story. And so I get to put my own ideas in. Yes. Instead of saying, I'm going to be 
as confused about the ideas as the author of the original story is. I do think I have to say, though, that I think the movie does a lot of things well, and I'm glad that I watched it because it, it definitely, like, the, the action sports scenes uh, were well done and I think made an interesting point. It just, it, it foundered when it wasn't in that location. We are becoming dangerously close to Uh-oh. actually talk about this movie, and that's not what we're here for. So we're going to take the quickest of breaks, and when we come back, Rollerball. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com, and it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Written by William Harrison, based on his own short story, Rollerball Murder. And directed by three-time Academy Award-nominated director Norman Jewison, Rollerball takes place in the not-too-distant future, where wars no longer exist. But there will be Rollerball, a corporate-run motocross-slash-roller-skating ball game that's about the level of violence of hockey and football until James Conn's Jonathan E. pisses off the corporate overlords to the point that they remove all rules except for murder. Critics were mixed on its release, and to this day, Taste Buds, (laughs) I ask you this... Considering not just this movie, but also The Running Man, The Hunger Games, Battle Royale, or Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, uh, Gamer, The Purge, The Purge Election Year, The Purge Anarchy, uh, Death Sport, Roller Babies, The Forever Purge, Solar Babies, and 1975's Death Race 2000, what is it with cinema's deeply woven belief that achieving a utopia will be dependent on inventing a murder sport? And how does Rollerball contribute to the conversation surrounding this oddly specific genre? I feel like a, a lot of it is we feel like we can't totally purge violence out of the human condition. And so... Or the purge election year out of... or <laughs> And so, I mean, I guess that's exactly what purge is about, right? But, like, th- this idea that if we could somehow contain violence into a spectator sport, mm-hmm. that it would let it would be a release valve for some of the violence that we see in the people because like a lot of other 1975 stuff, you get a lot of crowd shots here where the people are basically like murderous rampaging hordes who are barely kept at bay by some sort of blood sport entertainment. This is like across a bunch of movies specifically in 1975. And so I, I think that, that is what it's bringing to the conversation or that's the conversation it's joining, which is how do we, purge the violence of our system but it's obviously i i'm gonna say i disagree with this this false premise of theirs that if we don't want murder to happen anymore we gotta watch gladiator style murders oh yeah i don't think it's correct (laughs) but i mean (laughs) yeah but i mean like that the g word you know like that sort of means that it's been around for all time and this movie does a lot of roman like things but I think the other thing too is that it's I can't believe how many movies you listed, Mike. Like it's 
that's so many movies that have you done know, this exact movies. same thing. Um, it's mostly me bragging about movies. But <laughs> I think it, it sort of literalizes in a simplistic way how the rich stay rich by pitting the poor against the poor. And now we have poor people fighting against poor people while poor people watch. And isn't just isn't that just how the world works, you know? With the dream of becoming an executive. Mm-hmm. One day you might not be uh, poor anymore because you get to be an executive. I can't wait to wear, be middle management and wear a gray suit. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin, where are you at with murder sports and murder sport movies and what they say about society? So... The whole time watching this movie, all I could think of was Hunger Games because, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's one of the more recent ones that came out that I've seen. And it's like just, you know, old or like middle-aged white men who are angry just fighting out on the court, but then doing it because these older white men want them to do it. And then they're the ones (laughs) who control everything, which is uh, You're describing war. Yeah. Well, well, I think works about Hunger Games... And the other ones don't necessarily is Hunger Games also lets you know what the rest of society is like. Yeah. Uh, and it's not great there either where so many of these are like, everything's great and normal except for this one game or this one part of life. And Hunger Games look is like, look, they're starving all the time. They do this because it's the only way they can make sure their family eats more. I'd push uh, back a little bit on that, that everything's great and normal though. He, yeah. both the like a- executive uh, Bartholomew is mm-hmm. like, super duper rich and jonathan e is extremely rich himself from being like a famous athlete but i think everybody else has a pretty crappy life because they're so yeah because they're completely controlled by like eight corporations and the only thing they have is murder ball or is roller ball you get is the sense i get and so it doesn't it doesn't seem like a utopia it seems like a dystopia and the thing that we get in this movie that we don't really get in hunger games i I do think I think that it is a knock on this movie. Like the movie, I think is less effective because we don't know what it's like to not be an executive or an athlete. You know, right. like we don't take the camera doesn't go down to the streets. But what we do see is even at rich ass like Roman style orgies where they're all you know in white rooms just drinking and fucking and all all they want to do still is just watch clips. Like they're as addicted to this as the mm-hmm. they think the plebeians are. You know, and that's one difference that I do think separates this movie. The the showing the opiate of the masses, yeah, is is but no, I mean as much I, of a drug just to the for rich whatever reason. Too. Now I'm defending Hunger Games. Uh, they do that too. The that their whole lives revolve around the Hunger Games. Like entire industries exist because of the games. And Let's just fucking talk about the Hunger Games. <laughs> but I think that's a big deal. Is that uh, we we just like John Houseman, the the main executive that we talked to, says like, well, just maybe don't think about stuff like. Mm-hmm. It's sort of your job to not think about stuff. And so that's ultimately what it is. Like the NFL or the Nintendo Switch, they are all just distractions, you know? So right. we, we forget about all of the terrible things that are going on in our life. And that's what Rollerball is. As a standalone in, in the, the pantheon of uh, murder sports, gladiatorial, uh, where, is it, where, where are we putting Murderball? Nope, Murderball is a dope real game. That's yeah. a documentary. Folks in wheelchairs. I did the same thing. <laughs> throw <laughs> uh, rollerball. Where, where's rollerball? I mean, we watched Death Race 2000 this year because it came out this year. And it's same crazy year that twice is confusing. It's crazy that we have two 1975 movies that we did as bonus shows with the exact same premise and how hard they are to compare because of style and tone. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's where you get the director right, but it's Death Race was the one that Corman went. He heard about Rollerball. The, like the trailer for Rollerball came out, people were so excited. He went, "We're doing our own. Just two we have three two weeks. weeks. Do a movie. We have two weeks." <laughs> and maybe not thinking, I, I'm gonna right now. I, I would put Death Race 2000 above Rollerball. I 100 percent would. Oh yeah, definitely. Did you feel and like I, Rollerball kind of thought it was a big deal, like? Like the people who made it thought it was a big deal, and that's why it was so heavy on the beginning and the end. On like all these, I don't, I like the beginning and the end was really good, and then the middle ha- really didn't have much in it. Mm-hmm. I did. I think like- that it, yeah, it was bookended by these pretty incredible scenes. Like maybe we'll get to those later, but these incredible scenes. And then I thought in the middle they were like, and now we can make our important Oscar movie. Yeah. And Death right. Race 2000 was like, oh, we're not doing any of that shit. We're making fun of movies that want to be important. Yeah, and every other important movie was like, oh, well, we're going to be good at being important. And this movie just sort of sank in the middle. Well, what's in- like, it sinks because it. Uh, I, I don't think Jimmy Kahn is that charismatic of a lead. So unless he's... Not in this, man. Busting <laughs> skulls. Like when he's in a glass chamber or talking to liquid computers, <laughs> you should be like on the edge of your seat. Like this is an early keanu reeves type role and i think keanu would have crushed it yeah keanu does a lot better with the like highly medicated like barely connected to reality uh-huh. johnny mnemonic is what i'm thinking the, the liquid computer remind me of when keanu reeves is talking to fucking telekinetic dolphins the dolphin <laughs> yeah well i don't know if you're an actor until you've talked to some sort of like seemingly liquid. telekinetic <laughs> uh sentient being as far as mike your original question um I haven't seen all the... I think I've only seen The Hunger Games. I don't know how it pans out. It didn't strike me as incredible... They win, Ryan. ...movie making. Um, <laughs> Everybody's hungry. I would sort of put Rollerball towards the bottom because the movies that typically do this choose style or sub, uh, style over substance, and that is what you should do with these movies. <laughs> well, at least... how Okay, so part of the substance is it's talking about corporate-run society, which is anytime old movies say that like the evil corporations i roll my eyes but then i stop and go well they were completely right how does it do an expression of how corporations really do rule everything around us like cash oh in that part i think it does phenomenally like this movie invents so many things including the internet the guy just goes up to a talking computer and uses the internet but i as far as like a corporation scene that like sports is money and money of sports and then taking over it and then telling people to retire. I think this movie predicted the next 40 or 50 years of sports. The, I think part of the muddling is we're all getting what he's, what the movie's trying to be angry about is, uh, is corporations and, and freedom in that way. But the, I already forgot his name. The director, Norman Jewison, Norman Jewison, uh, he, People that it was so real that people played the act, the actors and crew would play rollerball on breaks because <laughs> the would. rules were so legit. And when it came out, people were like, We want to make this league. Can you help us? And he said, No, the whole point of this movie is sport contact sports are too violent. He didn't care about corporations. His whole thing is, and he's not wrong there because the concussions and everything. Oh, uh-huh. they've only it's only gotten worse, bro. Caitlin, coming out of this movie, did you think the main takeaway was sports are too violent? No, I was. That <laughs> shocks me. I had no idea. I thought there was a much bigger, like, corporation sort thing. Like, they're rolling us. Open your eyes. Like, you can take down the system. Yeah. And even if you do, but if you do, 
you're a murderer kind of thing. I did no, at no point did it hit me that this was about sports. <laughs> it's the basically movie, the Will Smith movie from a couple of years ago. <laughs> the movie makes every point it needs to make in like the in the opening shots of the movie, and then yeah. it slowly spells those out over the rest of it. But I, it does have some. It really does have some interesting points. I mean, in the time from 1975 until now, we have learned so much about how honestly deadly football is players don't die right out there on the field but they die directly as a result of their play and mm-hmm. they sometimes because they become so violent after their games they like they take other people with them sorry go ahead go Oh, just that, that it makes that point very well because I mean that you know we have not seen corporations maybe dominate to the extent they have in this movie but we certainly do have like a modern day blood sport yeah, and I mean, not to excuse any sexual uh, offenders or, you know, like uh, domestic abusers, but it sort of seemed for a long time that football would attract people who would sexually abuse or domestically abuse. Right. And now, because the ratios we're seeing, uh, what if that being your job and the way you're treated at your job makes you more likely to go out and do other different dangerous things when you're off the clock? Yeah, I remember being in a conversation, and I forget who it was. Maybe it was right after the Michael Vick stuff. Uh, and I I don't know many football players, so I can't name anything else. Uh, and somebody's like, well, what do you expect? It's a blood sport. Kind of defending <laughs> footballers' actions. Off. I was like, that? Your tone is wrong uh-huh. right right now. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you also, can say you that never- same word those same words, but just with a different tone. You never want to seem like you're against dogs. Like, that is a bad place to be. But look, I just I don't fucking know. hate dogs. <laughs> yeah. Make them all fight. Look, I watch rollerball and I hate dogs. <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. And when we come back, more rollerball. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, You can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. As we briefly mentioned, the movie is famous for its opening and closing sequences where we get to actually just watch Rollerball in all of its bloody rollerball-y glory. Does the middle hour of the movie sustain you knowing you get to see more rollerball later? And does it have enough story off the court? No. I, <laughs> uh, Moving I on. Texted, I texted everybody like 20 minutes into this. Like, wait, does this movie kick total ass? And Ryan was <laughs> yeah. like, you're just not at the middle yet. It's, it's really bad, but it's going to get good again. And that was like prescient. The movie falls off a cliff and then <laughs> is just slow and quiet really weirdly like all the dialogue is whispered yeah, yeah. And oh every it's, conversation it's like boom mumbled 
Yeah. Oh, if you watch this at seven in the morning, like I watch my movies, your hand has to be on that remote so you're not waking everybody else up in the And then all of a sudden, ah, rollerball. <laughs> and every conversation, it's like the director told the actors, okay, we don't have enough movie here. So every conversation has to be like twice as slow as normal. <laughs> and so everybody's talking slow and there's long pauses in between what they say. And it, it feels like maybe he's going for an arty feeling, but mm-hmm. instead it's just like... It's mind-numbing. That's 100% it, is that he wanted this to be to, like, for an action movie to win all the Oscars, right? And, like... Well, yeah. And yeah, he, so, he so just we learned talked about how he's nominated lessons. before. Talk about... He, so, Jewison did Moonstruck, Fiddler on the Roof, Jesus Christ Superstar, The Cincinnati Kid, uh, In the Heat of the Night. His career is all over the place. So, definitely, this, I'd say, is the biggest outlier. I, I mean, maybe, but, like, do we think, based on that list of movies, is he an auteur... And we don't really see it because in the heat of the night, and Moonstruck are like all timers. Or is he a is he a director for hire and very lucky with his scripts and his actors? Maybe that one, especially like the the at reading into him, everybody like tried to pin down his style and who he is, and they're like he cares about messages in his movies sometimes. <laughs> like even the people who are like, "This is who he was," were like, "I don't know." Man. Way to like, nail him down. And a lot of it is like he's just like, and this was leaning towards he's a gun for hire. Is that he is very old Hollywood? Is that I will make any movie in any genre and do a watchable job? Yeah, or like I have to get this money, or I have to get this movie done under budget on time. Mm-hmm. Norman Jewison, here we go. I don't know, but like I think he's more than just a competent director. This seems like more a major misstep than it, it, it would shed negative light on something like moonstruck moonstruck is like again i don't know if there's a message there but it's definitely a very watchable extremely entertaining film i would call moonstruck nearly perfect yeah so it just seems like you can't you have to be something more than just a gun for hire to like put together movies like that plus were the were the bookends I mean, I know we're talking about the middle, but like, were the bookends actually thrilling? Like, were those like shit? You are a fucking filmmaker. The opening to this movie, which is like only like kind of like ambient sound and ambient music and Dracula music, yeah, Yeah. and the way it lets you the way it lets you discover what Rollerball is and how it works without a character going through a really long explanation about how it works. You get that later, but yeah, uh, y- you know so much about the sport just by observing it for the first 20 minutes. And that's why I was like, holy crap, this is a really well done movie. And the set looks great. Mm-hmm. And the action actually looks like fast and good. Like they, they speed it up effectively. So it doesn't look cartoonish. It looks good. Which is something that death race 2000 cannot claim. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like we talked about, it's Benny Hill. <laughs> just like goofy cartoons running around. Uh, my issues with the beginning, and I didn't have that many where they said everybody for a corporate anthem, random synth music is not an anthem that would tear people up. Does it have to have lyrics by, like, by definition, do we have to sing things? Yes, that's anthemic, I think. But honestly, just to, just to play devil's advocate here, in the 70s, you didn't always have somebody singing the national anthem before a game. Like, sometimes it really was just they played the organ or they played a track of it. Mm. Nowadays, we're used to seeing professional sporting events. But so you have to imagine, like, Rollerball didn't exactly understand how big sports were going to get. So even though this is supposed to be such a big sport, it still has some of the markers of a small sport. Like, they bring guys onto the team, and then they're going to train them how to do basic maneuvers. Like, well, they should be pro athletes. They yeah. should know how to, like, they should know how the game works by now. Well, they do go but, through quite a few players. 
for a I game. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if that ball hits you in the noggin, you're out of there. Pretty high turnover there. <laughs> or if a motorcycle tire at full speed hits you in the noggin, I think you're and out of there. And then catches fire. <laughs> and then catches and goes into the crowd. <laughs> G- going back to the to the middle and him as like what was he trying to do there are moments and like the shards of glass just in the in the executive's office and then the rich people shooting fire bombs out of like a tiny little gun like just he was like destroying nature it's it's so weird how like obvious and hack it was but also he was like i want to show a thing and not say a thing mm-hmm and That's, how long the trees were exploding and it was awesome but how long and slow and boring that scene was i just feel like saying correction marge i could be bored by two different types of movie making like <laughs> yeah, it I was mean, it th- was the dialogue scenes and uh i'm showing you something scenes there's a way in which showing is so obvious that it might as well be telling right. too like if you are shooting trees <laughs> right. with a gun then it's like Cackling. okay you're not technically telling us something here but come on like there's no room for interpretation here and is the shards of glass is it might look nice in here, but everything's dangerous, Jonathan E. Yeah, and the mix of uh, a place where he goes to get peace, and yet he's surrounded by jagged, broken glass. The mix of like the serenity and the danger and in, in, inherent in that. That's like what the corporation is, right? It gives you a mock serenity, but it's delivered through like a, a violent mechanism. Again, I think it's a very talented filmmaker who just happened to watch movies and sort of cheat a little bit. You know, he watched a lot of movies, do a lot of things well, and, and be like, oh, I can do that really easily, really quickly. Like, this strikes me as a movie where uh, they were like, Norman, the director dropped out a week before we start shooting. And he's like, oh, I can do this. And then, again, uh, the sports scenes are great, but, like, the in-between is like, holy shit, this is student film level terrible. Do you I think like- part of it is... Sorry, Caitlin, go. Oh, no, it was just the middle of it really bored me so much because I I also started where it was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And then I legit fell asleep and I had to restart (laughs) because I was so bored. And then I had to watch it in segments because I couldn't keep concentration (laughs) in order to like actually focus on what was going on. But the, the beginning and end, I was glued to it. Honestly, this is one of the few movies where I would be like, just sleep, just fall asleep and then <laughs> set your alarm for like 30 minutes before the up. ending. Yeah. Or the, yeah, the, the, the sound of the fucking pinball ball going through the arena you know will wake we you need? up. My new alarm. We need the Topher Grace cut on this. Oh, yes. shit. Like, and I'm talking like a movie that is like, you know, 80 minutes long. Like if perfect length. I think we yeah. could do 45. Yeah, dude. Well, I, honestly, that's like sometimes all you have is a short movie. That's okay. Sometimes when we're like, oh, it, it drags and it's, we're, we're too used to the modern, like every 15 minutes, there better be a set piece uh, and they're doing something. This movie needs that modern. Every 15 minutes, you should he shouldn't be calmly walking in and talking to a scientist who gets mad at the computer for not answering. Yeah. He should be like running from an assassin who's been after him the whole movie. Like <laughs> his wife who showed up, he deals with women in weird truncated ways that I was never sure who he was related to and how. And every time I'm like, is she his ex-wife? Well, he's getting like a corporate, he's getting like a new corporate girlfriend. Like right. Several times in the movie. Right. And each one of those girlfriends maybe stole him by a corporate executive. Uh huh. Who will just take her away. Uh, my favorite bit of editing slash could we cut this is, uh, he's listening to the doctor at the end and the doctor sits down on the stairs and, Jonathan E is like, uh, all right, I'll sit down on the stairs. And when he does, the doctor stands up and then starts talking more. And Jonathan E is yes. like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were hanging out. 
we can lose all of this, people. Yeah. This none yeah. of this is rollerball. Can we watch it, rollerball? I think because I was so in need of tension, I started to create tension in my head. But also, the camera made it seem. I thought Moon Pie was going to be a traitor. Not yeah, die. for sure. Yeah. Oh, no, I thought he was dead. <laughs> that, that, that scene where Moon Pie is asleep, the masseuse is asleep on Moon Pie, and Jonathan E is uh-huh. like resting on her back. Like uh-huh. I thought, and they zoomed in on Moon Pie's face because this is when Jonathan's putting it all together. Like, here's what I got to do to fight. And I thought it was going to like show his shifty eyes. And then when we're in the middle of the corporate anthem against Tokyo, there's like all these like knowing glances shared between Moon Pie and some of the players. And I was like, they're all going to kill Jonathan. Yeah, uh, that's but crazy. no, that's not what happened at all. I thought they were all scared. First of all, that massage scene—that uh, was basically every uh, relationship I had in high school. Is that, uh, <laughs> oh, girl, you like you're in love with this boy instead of me? Well, I'll still gently put my head on you, and ho- <laughs> hopefully that's not weird. Uh, but no, I thought like the way he was like Jonathan E. I love you, and like I tr- I want to be with you. He was such like he was just fodder. I see that now. I just, I mean, again, I think it was my deep need for any sort of tension in the middle of the film. <laughs> yeah. You know what else I think it might have been, Mike? I think it might have been that he was very casually racist. And mm. in modern movies, when someone is casually racist, it's because you're if the movie trying to make you be glad that they're going to die later. Yeah. So maybe, like, I thought, like, oh, well, he's a bad guy because he keeps saying all these really unfortunate things about people. And so then that's like, it's going to make us feel better when he's gone. But. No, it's kind of still did. When three guys grabbed him, one ripped his helmet off and took the their spiky fist. Uh, that was oh, that part ruled. All right, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, dig into Jimmy Can. <laughs> well, that is very very funny or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Taste Buds, James Conn's performance as Jonathan E. can be described as to be somewhere between Sonny Corleone and Buddy the Elf's dad. What do we make <laughs> of Conn's decisions here? Oh my God, Buddy the Elf's dad is exactly who this guy is. Holy it cow. It is exactly who this guy is. Oh my God. Wait, no, but, is it really? But maybe it's the same actor. Oh, oh no wonder. I was like, and wow, they look Ed so Cannon, similar. <laughs> this is a sequel. Sonny the Elf's dad is Jonathan E. I thought in the beginning of the movie that it was supposed to be that he was like drugged up to be complacent. That's how slow and plotting his delivery is and i guess it's supposed to be more like he's kind of like a cowboy i mean the movie takes pains to show that he's supposed to be yeah. a cowboy in every way that possible. buckle yeah and yeah, so i hat. guess that yeah that spanish flat hat uh but like i i seriously at first i thought what it was supposed to be was like oh yeah they've got him like they probably put drugs in his food and everything so he can't think very clearly and he can't speak very clearly but nope that's just that's his interpretation. That's just what he was going with. Here's I, I wonder if he had so little to do that he was like, I'm going to head cannon and say they're drugging Jonathan E. But no, like, I, I wouldn't mean, be surprised. That's why you go get. Uh, I mean, like I hate to be like a Marvel head, but that's Sliced why you, alone. That's why you go get Chris Pratt or uh, Robert Downey Jr. is to like do something with little, you know, like right. go get a star to be a star. That's why this is where Tom Cruise shines is like, oh, you've offered me nothing. I looked it up and. At this point, when Rollerball was being made, um, Clint Eastwood 
had come home from Italy and had started yeah. like four or five movies. And I think that he might be doing that. Like, this is what a cowboy would act like. Yeah. And but not in not it, the most famous sports athlete in the world. I think you do have to have some charisma, right? But yeah. And I, I mean, I think that this is a problem with the movie in general is that, oh, we're just copying what other movies do that is good, you know, as far as not only developing themes, but also him just being there and like being like, I play, I play a rollerball. Did you want me to play more rollerball? You have to have a certain sort of charisma. You have to be Clint Eastwood or Chris Klein. Otherwise, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Nothing in between. So, Jonathan E's issue is uh, they're not explaining why he needs to retire. Does James Khan convey why Jonathan E wants to keep playing? I think it's because he. Like, <laughs> Caitlin just shakes her head. No. <laughs> I well, I think what it's. I think it's one of the few things in the movie that kind of goes unsaid, uh, which is that he needs the explosive violence. Mm-hmm. That you know to be so sort of like quiet and dead. In his so the movie's a little life. hurt locker. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that he is addicted to this. I mean, like he like he wins at the end. Like he, he, yeah. he fights them all. And then the last thing you see is him like lurching towards the camera as the organ plays and the fire like is, is behind him. And then the extreme, extreme, extreme close up, And he looks monstrous. Right. And like, it's like Caitlin said, like to upend the system, he had to become a total monster. And that's the, like, that's what he's giving into over the course of the movie. Like he doesn't, he can't stop playing because he can't stop being so violent. But how much of it is punk rock? You told me to do a thing, but you aren't saying why, so I'm not going to do the thing? Yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, it could be connected to punk rock, but it's also, this might be the one area of his life he has control. They stole his wife from him. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing they enlisted him in this at a very young age because it is just war. And it I, is an army. I mean, honestly, and we're so, all like, take my wife, please. But we don't mean it. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> oh, dang. Do you think she's coming back? <laughs> but that what's what's interesting about that is it's like a very futile thing because this system is like it's kind of like capitalism because it's these companies that are in control mm-hmm. but it's an oligarchy uh and it it has like these feudal qualities like a lord comes down and says i want your wife and then just takes her away and right. i think a little in a in a way jonathan is a little bit like almost like a lucifer figure from uh, paradise lost like he just doesn't want to submit and he wants knowledge and he wants to have things his way and he will tear everything down rather than not have his way. You're making me like yeah. him a lot more. No, but like this is if Rorschach <laughs> won. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I will, he would, because, because I think what the end of the movie is supposed to tell us is like, whatever this thing served for these people, it's not really going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he has changed everything. He's unleashed something and what he has unleashed in himself now we're going to see get unleashed in everybody else. And so it's not it's not paradise that he brings. It's hell. Like yeah. He's bringing hell on earth because he will not submit. But I mean, th- like, that's the point. Like all of these movies, not just all of these sports are death movies, but like Star Wars <laughs> as well is like, I'm not I'm not going to make this better. I'm just going to make it all fucking topple. I'm just going to kill the bad guys. Yeah. And it's then the- I don't have a plan for what comes next. Why you always actually should take the blue pill, whatever the I want to eat steak and taste steak cipher pill. It's like when they when the senators killed Caesar 
Julius Caesar, they literally didn't have a plan for what to do next. They're like, eh, it'll work out. Like, you the plan have was a kill plan. Caesar and then see what happens. It's so weird then, how that play ends. Like, after they stab him, it's like, um, to be continued. And <laughs> whoopsie doodles. <laughs> step twosie. Uh, who's going to be the new guy, right? <laughs> the first guy to step forward, stab him. Get him now. <laughs> I like it's hard for me to express, especially in this season of not just Al Pacino and I guess Ryan O'Neill and Jack Nicholson. You guess Ryan O'Neill? Put some respect on his name. I guess Ryan O'Neill and Jack Nicholson. But like, uh, I'm gonna say even David Carradine in here. How much this movie could have been saved if we had somebody who made us think that they wanted to be in the movie <laughs> and made us want to continue yeah. watching it. You know what it's like? It's like the, uh, when they made Harrison Ford do the voiceover yeah. for Blade. Uh, uh-huh. Fucking runners like, are blading. I don't know. James Caan brought that to his face as well <laughs> and uttered like disrespect for the entire process. Like, oh, I, uh, this is like, I wonder if like, was he under contract or something? I lost a bet. Did he need a new rug? <laughs> and it's probably, I mean, like he thought that he was probably going to be the next Marlon Brando, right? And yeah. like that was probably his mentor and. Now he's in a, a movie about the future where rollerblading is, or roller skating, not even rollerblading, roller skating is king. He's probably like, fucking shit. This dude can skate a little bit though, right? Like, I thought he looked pretty comfortable up on those skates. Yeah, he did. Again, I'd rather just rollerball be real. I'd finally get into a sport. Imagine a movie where they, they only showed, like, rollerball footage i really think you could do it like with with some dialogue on the sideline it would be like mm. that movie grand prix like you did like you just have a little bit of stuff going on on the side of the track and the rest of the time is all just these cool action shots of rollerballing can we well, talk I for a second can... oh with even yeah. the, the the action of just keeping the action and just looking at that i mean you see from the beginning how the sport itself evolves into the murder sport that it is and how like characters like jonathan just decide you know I, they tell me to murder so i'm gonna murder and then <laughs> following at the orders end, it's just following orders and the people watching in the stands you think that they're like they're affected by it but then you see that they're not so i feel like it, it, it gives such a story if you just cut out the center of the whole movie right. like if you just got the oreo and you ate the cookies it's it's good <laughs> what, what, wait yeah, a one creamless of the, oreo that's what you're asking creamless for. oreo yeah <laughs> the cream is boring in the middle ryan but i mean we still have enough because at the end they go against japan right mm-hmm. it's america versus japan uh the two countries who are you know, taken over by corporations. And then at the end, uh, I don't know, we're just, we're dive bombing, not just the Japanese, but also uh, people are coming in from the stands and then also getting killed too. Like this movie has plenty of symbolism just in the rollerball scenes. We don't need the middle part. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do like, Caitlin, you just said it, that the the real ending, the real last one, it is America eating itself Mm -hmm. because it's Texas, it's Houston versus New York. Uh Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then that's prescient man think about that like the real yeah. conflict is not america versus another country it's america just two city american cities versus one another and uh it's a middle versus a coastal mm-hmm. coastal elites and i think going that where the, the the rules are revoked and it's like anything goes our quote-unquote good guys team orange houston they start brutalizing tokyo they're the ones who are like 
no, everybody's playing by the old rules, and then Houston's like, wait, fuck these guys. Yeah. And then th- that's the first time I went, oh, that guy looks dead. Well, Houston uh, teams a lot of times will do whatever okay, here we go. to win. Oh, here we go. Uh, even if they have they, to use a trash can, which is not in the spirit of rollerball, <laughs> uh, they'll, they're willing to do it. They'll go and You're talking about the Astros can. now, Greg? If you oh, guys, no, I'm just I'm just talking about Houston teams in general. If you guys were the announcer who announced that there is rules or there is not rules, would you throw in a rule at the end? <laughs> oh like, yeah. If you what, what? big uh, wanna be Hitchcock guy is gonna waddle down and tell me <laughs> that's not a rule. <laughs> John Houseman was Hitchcock in this movie, right? Why was yeah, he always in profile pitching mysteries <laughs> with that same like tuba line? Dirt, 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 dirt. <laughs> no, that's Curb. That's not. <laughs> It's You're thinking of... Wait, that's Austin Powers. How did Hitchcock okay that fucking tuba song of like, oh, you wrote that because I'm fat? Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for my theme Probably song. thought it was hilarious. All right, I want to go around the horn. Pull it back to Jimmy Khan. We're going to do Vora, value of a replacement actor. Give me... Everything stays the same, but it's a different actor. What would make this watchable? Greg, starting with you. <clears throat> what would make it... Watch Does it have to be a 75 actor? No. All time. I'm, I'll just say Al Pacino. I think I think Al Pacino either in 75 or Al Pacino in like the crazy scent of a woman days. <laughs> yeah. Either one of those Pacinos could come in here and just spice it up a little bit, you know? Ryan? Oh, I'm going to go with Flula Borg. Uh, I think, yes. <laughs> I think that if he was... The star of this movie, uh, we would have had so much more improv. Some of, so much of his giant... It's not just a giant head, but it's a giant face on top of a giant head. Uh, on top of a giant body. Uh, and, he's, and I've heard he wants to get an action movie, so it would be perfect. Uh, but he's, he, would, he would do amazing. It, speaking of improv, it did feel like... You know, Christopher Guest films are just uh, outlined and then the actors go. It felt like... They did that with this, but these actors did not know how to improv yeah, they just dramatically or funny. So they just say the same thing over and over and over. And again. also, I would like Fula Borg, every time he says anything, uh, there would be a tuba version of the Austin Powers theme song, <laughs> which is what I'm learning from this show. <laughs> Caitlin, what actor are you placing Jimmy Kahn with? God, I just want to do Vin Diesel. Like, I know he doesn't have like <laughs> oh, dr- dramatic nice. like chops, but man, would I like to see Vin Diesel just beat the shit out of some people in Rollerblade, to be honest. just I just want to see him. I just want to see him. And you know the what you get with that? Says yet, what? You, what you get with that is a lot of backwards roller skating while smiling, just being like, <laughs> "Oh, what up?" Over his own song. You guys remember that song? Did you play it all over Spotify a couple years ago? Yes. Oh yeah, when he released his like yeah. single, and everybody in Ellen or the Kelly Clarkson show danced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know what I'm doing tonight. All right, that is all the time we have to talk about. We're going to take a break and we'll come back. It's award season. At this point in his career, Jewison was used to being Academy nominated. Three times he was. Can you believe that Rollerball is not one of those times? <laughs> <laughs> Zero nominations, Mike? Zero nominations. Zero nominations. Not even for the Loudies. I, think I don't it know just, if they had Loudies back then. It stinks of try hard. Like... <laughs> Like I don't feel like I am very much a, a good critic of movies, but I can I can smell the stink of Try Hard all over this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, put that on the poster. But it's true though. Like you can smell everything this movie is trying to do. It always comes back to the feet smell with you it's people. So stinky, it's so stinky. <laughs> all right, we're gonna talk about cringe first. Biggest cringe, Greg. I, I'm gonna go with 
all the Japan stuff, I didn't feel like there was a single aspect of this movie's interaction with Japan or the Japanese people that didn't make me feel so <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, I think it was like before, I think the 80s really was when like Japan got much bigger in, in America's cultural reckoning. Uh, but they are shown completely as the other and mm. the things that, that uh, like Moon Pie says about them. Yeah. Just cringe city USA. Caitlin? Yeah, so I'm actually going to go for, you know, everything about Jonathan's ex-wife or wife. <laughs> If they're not divorced, uh, because Jonathan in his house has like so many TVs. He has three TVs <laughs> on one wall, and then he has another wall with another three TVs. He has so How about many that DVD? TVs. You p- you pop in, and then you get three different angles or four yeah. different angles of what you're watching, and it's all creepy as shit. Yeah, it's so <laughs> fucking creepy of just his wife, and there on all of his TVs, it's just his ex-wife or his wife who was taken away from him. I don't care how much you love someone, watching three different angles of your your used to be wife is kind of weird and daily all yeah. the time. It's like it, it's Let weird. It go. Yeah, so let's, it was cringe city. Every time I saw it, and even when he was in the house with her and then ha- put that on, it, that was the worst. That was worst. It's like, now she knows what you do in your dirty times. I don't need this. Were you happy when he erased it? Well, it did look like uh, one of those uh, murder movies, how it erased. It like went all black and white and like, <laughs> whew, faded away. So I also I, loved how, uh, yet another prescient thing in the movie, he put it, in on, he put it on in the living room. He was like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm going to my bedroom. And then he walks in there, and it's still blaring yeah. in his bedroom. Like, That's yeah. where Sonos got their idea. <laughs> Ryan, what is your cringe? Um, James Caan is a, essentially a zombie. Like, if you tell him, hey, you have to lose next time, he's like, I don't, okay, well, maybe I will. And hey, James Caan, you're my best friend. Well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. James Caan, I'm going to fucking suck your dick and give you a million dollars. Well, you know, you have to do what you want. And then his <laughs> current wife, girlfriend, is like, hey, I don't think you should go in the next match. And he's like, what? And he tackles her to the couch and just shakes her as hard as he can. And he's like, this is the only time I will act in the movie. <laughs> That's my cringy. Is that the blonde? That's the blonde, yeah. Yeah, Daphne. It's it's uh he not only does he she threatens him. He says, Are you threatening me? It's he pins her to the couch and then like puts his hand on her neck and it's like, Who is the hero of this movie? Everything with women in this movie was just major cringe. Yeah. Like it hurt. Like every time they talked about it, like a woman was used as a bargaining chip by the like the executives. Like that, like just listening to that, watching that, I was like, uh, I don't I don't feel good about it. Even though she was quote unquote okay with it being taken by the corporation and then being used as a pawn. I was not okay watching that. Yeah, we never got to hear about what Ella or Ellen or his ex-wife thought about being stolen by an executive. But I still have to say, one of the most forward-thinking movies of 1975. Like, just... There's so many more offensive misogynistic for sure, movies. Yeah. <laughs> pound for pound performance. Caitlin, who knocked your socks off? God, there is so many stale performances in this movie. <laughs> so many crackers. And uh, one of the best crackers out in the game. It, I, I Honestly, I, I think it's just because I saw him the most. I, I did do Jonathan um, because everyone else had such a small part and you just followed Jonathan the whole time. And I don't think anyone else gave like a... a so you got Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, no one else gave <laughs> a good good one either. So I give it to Jonathan. Ryan. Oh, it's Houseman, a.k.a. H- Hitchcock for sure. 
he every single time that he was in a scene, he was like, oh, what should I do? Oh, I will do even more than that. <laughs> and he ate up that scenery. He was like, well, Jonathan E., I am corporations. He said, uh, <laughs> he, he straight up said to Jonathan E., like, uh, we'll give you anything you want if, as long as you fucking retire. And Jonathan E. is like, I would like to meet my wife or I would like to see my wife again. And then Houseman was like, well, not that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's before he, my time. Don't speak to me of that again. <laughs> he was amazing. And his speech, I love. I, I I love this weird monologue. Look, I'm guessing no team post win likes the owner coming in and making it about them. <laughs> but his weird, like, aren't we all great in our suits? Let's drink, but we're not sharing with you guys. Speech, I'm fucking in love with it. And just handing out pills, not even yeah. saying what they do. Just like take this like, pill. You're like, this is gonna knock you in your ass, Moon Pie. Like he's got that Willy Wonka. Just like pills for days. I have to say, Sweet Dreams Moon Pie is like a very quotable line from this movie. And I think if you said that, people would have no idea what you were referencing. Sweet yeah. Dreams Moon Pie. I wanted to like the movie better because the number font I liked a lot on their uniforms. And I would get that number and Sweet Dreams Moon Pie on the front of a shirt if I liked this movie it's got for style. sure. I mean, it definitely had some some style. But Greg. Mike, are you nervous about how like the the people who would come up to you and recognize that shirt and be like, "No, nice shirt," and you're like, "Oh, I don't know if I like you." We're not friends. <laughs> I also hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, who's your pan for pan performance? Definitely John Houseman. Uh, he yep. seems to be the only one who came with like a take to the movie and was like, "Well, I'm gonna have to like fill in some of this stuff if I'm gonna have to deliver these really like long expository lines about where the game came from. Then I'm gonna do it with a ghoulish like it's like he heard the organ and he was like, oh, okay, I know what my performance is gonna be.' Like. <laughs> yeah, I'll play I off am this, that organ, this organ personified. Yeah. <laughs> I am Dracula." I, I want to give a shout out to Ralph Richardson, who played the librarian. Yeah. Who, oh, yeah, if, that guy's good, too. If, if he would Houseman have a YouTube is, show. If Hausman is uh, Dracula, then Rich Richardson is the is uh, Renfield. Uh-huh. Like, he just like such a sycophant. Just like, oh, yes. Oh, I'll take care <laughs> of the liquid computer for you. Shame uh, about the 13th century. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, this guy's, this, he's watchable. I don't know what's going on, but he's very watchable. He's, you know, it's there's a bunch of stale, and then there's this guy who's just going all over the place, and it's like, yes, you have my attention, I do like you, and then he just starts exactly. like ta- talking to water, and it's like, yeah, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck's going on, but I like this. This fool's talking to water. Director's signature moment, Ryan. I think I'm going to go with the montage of the uh, shooting fire at trees. I think that sometimes Jewison might struggle with exactly what his message message is supposed to be. And this was fucking nuts. Uh, it's basically broken up between um, Jonathan E. trying to come to terms with the fact that he's been asked to retire at this party that he hates and like convince his betters then, his upper level people that he doesn't want to do it with people firing uh, <laughs> gun rockets at trees. And I think I'm, I personally think that uh, humans are our greatest resource, which, you know, rollerball doesn't rollerball thinks that they're worthless. The but, ball probably. Yeah. The ball is probably the best yeah. resource. But then in the meantime, we're like, we don't, we think so little of people who can move. What if we shot people who couldn't move and then just blow the fuck up? Like, this reminds you of every awkward Instagram or uh, TikTok of rich people being fucking motherfuckers in this thing. <laughs> and I think that's what Norman Jewison is doing here. So you're saying trees are people who can't move? I want to boil down that, what you just said. Ultimately, that is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, yes, that's what you said. All right, Greg. 
Well, 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 hold on. No, people are trees who can move. That's what oh, I'm like. Oh, yeah. we are all Groot. <laughs> uh, there's a scene near the end of this movie where he, he gets his wife to come back, and they clearly have just slept together, and they're talking about like what comes next. And they speak so slowly and so quietly that I had the volume turned all the way up on my computer. And then I still couldn't quite make out what they were saying. And I was just like, fuck it. I don't fucking care what you're saying in this fucking conversation. And like, I don't know why they made that decision. But for some reason, they wanted the dialogue not only to be slow, but also to be so soft that you literally cannot hear it. Because they Wait, like, so I don't want to write sweet nothings. It doesn't matter. The record's answer is... It's like poor sound design. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's not actually recording audio. <laughs> Classic move from this guy, <laughs> Caitlin. Uh, okay, so mine's kind of like Greg's actually. My uh, my mine's silence. Uh, so the way that he uses silence to make it more dramatic, um, or you know, just doesn't make it audible for you to hear what people are hearing <laughs> saying. But like in the final scene, there's good silence, right? Yeah. And at the silence. very beginning, there's good yeah. silence. The yeah. beginning and the end, you see good silence where uh, they use it in order to make it more dramatic. And I feel like it's it's effective because like especially at the end, you have the only noises you can hear are the ball going in like the little basket thingy and the motorcycle. And you can just see everything going on around it, but it's just quiet. And it's like, okay, that's effective. And I feel like that was one of the cooler parts of the movie. Yeah. Okay, so Mike, basically what Greg and Caitlin are saying is that, remember that scene at the end of uh, Lost in Translation yes. where Bill Murray whispers something? Yeah. <laughs> you can't have six minutes of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree, agree with Caitlin. The the end silence, the that that's mine. Especially thinking of Khan just roller skating and the, like, the zoom out before the heavy zoom in. Uh, and especially thinking like that because he has Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar under his belt, set pieces are obviously something this guy can do. And those were our favorite parts of this movie. Yeah. So also, did you I, feel I like that's where he comes to shine? Did you feel like the fire was a big part? Because I mean, there was the fire on the trees. There was then the fire on the tracks at the end. I'm well, first... I mean, they, before the end part, they were like, and a bunch of people catch on fire. And I was like, what the fuck? Why? Yeah. And then at the end part, oh, I saw it. Like, people just light <laughs> yeah. on fire. <laughs> well, we're a very flammable folk. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> They're all the guy from Hereditary. <laughs> it's like, is he trying to tell me something with this fire right now? I'm trying to read into this. All right. Our, our last pseudo award is recommendation. What should they watch if they're looking for something like Rollerball? Greg. I'm going to pick a movie for the eyes, what they call a book in the old country. <laughs> and uh, Richard Bachman is the the one of the, the ulterior pen names for Stephen King. And I'm not going to say Running Man, which he wrote. I'm going to say The Long Walk. Uh, the Long Walk, I think, manages to do many of the things that uh, this movie is trying to do and just does them... Um, I think just just better and makes its points better and it gets you more connected to the characters and it's a a fun but gut wrenching little novella. Nice, Ryan. I am also gonna not gonna do a movie. I'm gonna do a book, sort of. I'm gonna tell everybody about a thing called Avengers Arena. Avengers Arena was a comic book from the I don't know. Oh yeah, early 2010s. <laughs> And they didn't like shy away from the battle royale thing. They wore it on their sleeve, and they sent like twenty 
young wannabe Avengers to an island to just battle royale. And it was amazing. It was this like third tier book that nobody bought, which means that you can have all of these character moments. And it was absolutely great. People did die. Like every issue, somebody died. Somebody had to be taken out. But uh, these are like, this is why I started reading Spider-Man comics in the beginning is because we got to know all these characters so much. So that when they died, it was really powerful. Avengers Arena is my recommendation. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it was dope. Caitlin. Well, I'm not going to do a book. So uh, I'm going to do a book for your eyes, which is a movie. Uh, (laughs) And I mean, this movie just reminds me a lot of Mad Max, but how Mad Max does it in like a much better way. And I feel Mm -hmm. like more effective and really captivates you the whole time. So, I mean, a lot of people probably have seen it. If you haven't, Mad Max. Are you talking about Fury Road or one of the old Mad Maxes? Um, just go for Fury Road. Why not? I like that one. Huh. Why not? <laughs> Why not? It's good. Uh, and it's all futuristic. People die in it, too. I have seen some similarities. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you have not seen Fury Road, now is the time. Yeah. Let's yeah. get that done. God, you got to watch in the next five years before the world becomes it. Yeah. Be prepared for what's going to happen. We're so Did close we to the we name that movie of the year or movie of the decade? No, we didn't, no. right? No, some fucking asshole really demanded the master be it. Uh, was that me? <laughs> yeah, I think huh. so. I mean, well, we vote, so it wasn't just you. Um, mine, I am going to go, because I don't know how many people have actually watched it or read it. The book is dope, and the movie is dope. Go check out Battle Royale in any form it is. If you can find music based on, do that. <laughs> it's crazy, and it, it was such a huge inspiration for so many things we've talked about. Uh. And the books, I would say, the book, you get to know the characters better than you get to know. And in the, in the movie, you're just like, that person has a crazy costume. And they killed them with that crazy weapon. Crazy. <laughs> Which is I'm, cool. With the Hunger Games, did some writer just be like, oh, I've seen this movie that nobody else has seen. I'm just going to make a book about it. Honestly, yeah. while I was watching this movie, I just kept thinking about that. It's like, did this ex- inspire like Hunger Games? Caitlin, you should check out Battle Royale then because that's what did. She was just like, I just can throw some Greek shit on top of Battle Royale. Battle Royale rules. Like, it's so funny and crazy. Oh, I'm going to check that out then. They uh, they take a bus full of Japanese school children to make them Hunger Games it out for, and the kids don't know why. Like, it takes them a while. (laughs) They they, they don't go into the situation knowing what's about to happen. Oof. So your typical Belko experiment situation? Typical Belko experiment, which I like that movie. That's another good one. Good pull, Greg. Greg gets a point. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday, James Gunn. We're recording on his birthday. (laughs) All right. This is not in the bracket, but if it was, how do we think it would do? Bad. (laughs) Bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it does some things well, but for most of the movie, you're you're kind of checked out. And there's some good movies in this bracket, so I think it would get slamma-jammed. I love talking about it with you guys. Like, yeah, it was fun for sure. This was fun, but this was, you know, like it was just fun. Like this movie is. It's just fun, like to kill you guys, not to. <laughs> I, I would rather. Uh, I, no, bad, bad stuff, bad stuff. <laughs> I don't know what he was saying, but I don't care to. <laughs> Caitlin, do you have anything to plug? Uh, are you talking about my show? Sure. I mean, whatever you feel I'll, like plugging. Okay. If, if you don't want to talk about your show, talk about anything else you're into right now. I think I should. <laughs> Uh, I'm on a show called Unnatural 20s with the superhero show show host Cassie and our other friend Books. Um, it's where we leave the fate of each episode up to the rolls of a D20. That means every episode's really different. We talk about our life in our 20s. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. Unnatural 20s. 
perfect commercial. That is it for our Rollerball show, but don't worry. Coming up in the bonus series, we have the Yakuza, we have Picnic Hanger Rock, and we have the much-talked-about, we'll see if we actually force ourselves to watch it. Oh, we're doing it. No, we're doing it. We're doing it. (laughs) Until then. Even if I have to do it solo.